Good morning. Welcome to Church in the Valley. We're glad that you join us online for our online worship service. My name is Matt Sprankle, and I am the associate pastor at Church in the Valley. I'm glad that you're here this morning. And I am wrapping up our series called Elections, where we've been looking at how as, we, how as Christians do we uh, handle our responsibilities, what the Bible calls our stewardships, how do we handle um, our vote and our influence in political things, how do we use those in a way that honors Christ. And we've looked at um, the foundations of our form of government, of rule of government uh, in general. We looked at um, the privilege we have and how we should exercise that privilege last week. And this week we're looking at what do we do after the vote. I think my first election that I voted in was 2000. And it seems every election, I'm being told, you're being told, this is the most important election that we're ever going to have. This is this, Everything depends on this election. And then the next election comes. And the next election comes. After every election, half the group is upset. Half the group is, you know, depressed and frustrated. Half the group is elated because they think that it's all going to get solved now. As Christians, we don't want to have this kind of up and down hope. We want to have a sure foundation. We want to have confidence regardless of what happens in the election, which is coming up in November, after the vote, for the short term, medium term, and long term. We have every reason to have confidence and hope. And the reason is because the Lord Jesus Christ reigns. He rules over heaven and earth. And because of that, we have confidence that his kingdom will grow, that he is strong enough to take good care of us no matter where we find ourselves. And with that confident hope and assurance, we then go into the political square, the public uh, uh, arena. We go into the common spaces and we work for justice and righteousness and God's law to be done in the society. We do it with confidence and hope, trusting that God will build his kingdom over time. So, we are going to read a psalm today, which I think will really encourage you, because that's exactly the theme of the psalm. It's Psalm 2, and Psalm 2 is a coronation psalm, which is a song they would sing when the king was being coronated, or the crown was being put on their head. Psalm 2 breaks into four stanzas. Stanza number one is the people of the earth, the rulers. They speak, and they speak rage against the Lord. Stanza number two is the Father speaks. The God the Father speaks, and he speaks to the nations and the peoples in his wrath and in mockery. Stanza number three is the Lord Jesus speaks, and he speaks the decree that the Father told him. And stanza number four, the Holy Spirit speaks, and he speaks words of counsel to the nations to turn and be reconciled to Jesus Christ or face judgment. So what I want to do is I want to go through it stanza by stanza. We'll start with the first three verses, the first stanza, and this is the nations, the rulers, the kings, the peoples, speaking in rage. It says, Why do the nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart, and let us cast their cords away from us. Let us let's get them off of us. They're hostile. Nations, peoples, rulers, kings, they're hostile to God's authority. They're roaring like the sea. This is a description of the hatred that is native in every human heart against God and his rule. We don't want to worship God. We want to be God. We want to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, with whoever we want to do it, for as long as we want to do it, and nobody can tell us what to do. That is a natural desire and song in every heart. And this first part of Psalm 2 
reveals that to us. The word for bond, cord, that they want to cast off, that refers to the tools that we use to restrain and guide animals, like a yoke that you put on oxen to help them plow your field. These nations and rulers and kings, these powerful people, they hate the yoke of the Lord. They want to break off his leash. They're plotting together. Rulers take counsel together. They're crafty, they're deliberate, they're shrewd, they're scheming. They all get together as a united nations in one giant insurrection to throw off God's authority. This is the condition of the nations in the world. They want to be free and autonomous. Autonomy means autonomos, self-law. They want to rule themselves apart from God. They want to worship themselves. And this isn't just a one-off. It's not like the nations got together one time, but it was, you know, it was at a party in college and they didn't mean it. No, this is a real thing. This is a pattern of behavior. These nations have set themselves. That's what it says. They set themselves against the Lord and His anointed. They've committed themselves against God. They have a deep-seated hatred. Now, people in their hearts... Imagine vain things all the time. We think of things that will never work. But this is one of the dumbest things that you could possibly do. Set yourself against God. It cannot succeed. They, they're going to break the cords of God. Are they Samson? Are they going to snap the cords that God has laid upon the entire human race? This is the definition of folly. Now we see this condition described of the nations, the peoples, the rulers, and the kings. It's not just the peoples of the nations, but they have fomented this rebellion amongst their kings and rulers. And we see it in the past and we see it in the, pr- in the future. I'm sorry, we see it in the present. This is happening now. This dynamic where nations and peoples, they hate the Lord. They don't want him to rule over them. That's going on in our country today. You see it all over the place. Lawmakers, judges, executives in California, all over America, actually. They've put them, their faith in this secular religion, this man worship, And they want to redefine society in their image. But God said, I have created male and female in my image. But our rulers and those that are powerful, our peoples, they want to redefine mankind in their image. You see, it's good to be a man. It's good to be a woman. God made them male and female. It's a good thing. That's wired into every chromosome of our body. But our leaders today say things like it's good for a man to pretend to be a girl. It's good for a girl to pretend to be a man. And if you do this, you get applause, you get special treatment, you get special protection and honor. But if you do not approve and you do not applaud because it is an abomination to God for a man to dress like a woman and for a woman to dress like a man, then you're shamed and you're punished. Something else God created, another cord or bond that God put on us, is that he made us to be fruitful and multiply. To fill the, the earth and subdue it. He created us to marry and build families. But in our nation, through the policies, very foolish, corrupt, in some cases wicked policies for a long time, it is more and more difficult to become economically independent, to leave your father and mother and start a life and have kids. In fact, there are nations like Germany and Russia, Italy, China, and Japan that have had policies that are really anti-family anti-fruitfulness policies in place for so long that they're about to go off a demographic cliff. These nations are beginning to fall off because they don't have enough people to replace the dying population that they have. They don't have enough people to provide for the elderly populations in their nation. 
And their entire system is predicated on a population this big, but they actually have a population this big because they have thrown off and cast off God's design for marriage and family. They saw kids as an inconvenience because they worship themselves and kids get in the way. And so they did that for years. In China, they forced it upon the nation. And China is the fastest declining demographic nation. And in the next 30 years, we are going to see the consequences of this casting off the cords of the Lord. They're going to see economic, social, and political ruin. We're already seeing the signs now. They are literally shriveling up. But you see, in the scriptures, God says a large population is the glory and the future of a king and his nation. And so we have turned to vain things. We have schemed, and it hasn't worked. The Lord has also said in Psalm 2 that we are to glorify him, I'm sorry, he also says in the, in the Ten Commandments, the same Lord of Psalm 2 gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites at Sinai. And the first commandment is to glorify, give thanks, and, glor- and love God uh, preeminently, first place. But our state, our nation, doesn't, doesn't honor Jesus as Lord. It doesn't recognize Jesus as the Lord. It doesn't give glory to God. And a state that will not acknowledge God is a state that tries to replace God. When there's no God above the state, Francis Schaeffer used to say, then the state becomes God. And we see that growing in our nation. We see it growing all over the world. And as a nation, we worship at the altar, not of Christ, but we worship demos, democracy. Whatever the people want, that's what they should get. Because the highest court of appeals in our system is the people. And whoever your highest court of appeals, whoever your highest authority is that you can appeal to, that's your God. And in America, it's the people. So if the people want to enslave half the nation, well, I guess they should be able to do it. If the people want to do this wicked or foolish thing, well, I guess they should be able to do it because the God of the system is demos. It's democracy. That's where demos comes from. And that's a fickle God. Because just like you and me, public opinion changes. Tastes change. One day it's legal, and the next day it's criminal. Do you want to live in that kind of world with that kind of God? But that's what you get when you throw off Christ. When you throw off Christ, it's chaos. These politicians seeking to break his cords and cast it off, they're creating chaos. That reminds me of a a joke. Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Rush, and Benjamin Franklin were three founding fathers. And they were sitting around one day at a bar in Philadelphia after the Constitutional Convention. And they're talking about the oldest profession in history. And Benjamin Rush was a physician. And so he said, the oldest profession in history is the physician. Because in the beginning, God performed a surgery and took Eve from the side of Adam. Thomas Jefferson was, uh, he was an architect, among many other things. But he kept tearing down and rebuilding his house, Monticello, the property. He actually went... Um, bankrupt because of it, but he was an architect. And he said, the oldest profession is architecture because in the beginning, God, the master architect, created order out of chaos. And Benjamin Franklin said, no, you're both wrong. The oldest profession is the politician. For who do you think created all that chaos in the first place? And that's a funny joke. I think it's funny. But what it points to is, when we throw off God, we bring in chaos. It doesn't work. And that's what we see happening here in the beginning of Psalm 2. And so the second stanza, the Lord in heaven speaks. The Father speaks. He speaks to them in his wrath 
and he mocks them. It says, he who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion's hill, my holy hill. Notice in this passage the quiet dignity and contempt for their foolish plans. God hasn't even taken the trouble to rise up out of his seat to do battle with them. That's how little nations and kings and presidents and governors and mayors and city councils and United Nations and any other collection of powerful people scheming against God, his people, his kingdom advancing. You know how seriously he takes it, how worried he is? He doesn't even get out of his seat. In fact, he laughs. He despises them. He's mocking them. He knows how irrational, how suicidal and foolish their attempts are. And so he laughs. They're like this person. This picture. Take that tree. Don't tell me that I have to obey the laws of gravity. Take that tree. You see how foolish this is? How madness this is? No wonder God is laughing. And so the point is, you should not be afraid. After the vote, after the election, regardless of the outcome, don't be afraid. Don't be shaken. Because our God isn't shaken. He sees what their schemes are. Then it says what the Lord will do to those who reject his only begotten son. What will he do? He will terrify them in his wrath. And he will terrify them in his fury. This is a righteous response. He is a holy and just God. He appointed them. They are his ministers. Every breath the people take, he gives. He is a holy transcendent God. He's high and lifted up. He's perfect in righteousness, holiness, goodness, and love. There's no one like him. He's worthy of our praise and honor. He, rightly, will speak to them in his wrath. But notice that he speaks, he doesn't strike. He speaks, he doesn't strike. God is still being patient. He's still being restrained, self-controlled. He's not giving them everything he has. He's speaking to them. And at that moment, when their power seems at their height, and the fury of these people seem the most violent, then his word goes forth against them. It only takes a word from God. And what does he say? Yet, despite all your crafty plans, your power, your new laws, your big swords, your emergency orders, despite all your schemes, O rulers of the earth, O kings, O congressmen, O senators, O presidents, O you pick them, despite all that you have, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill in Zion. You see, they set themselves against the Lord. He set his king on Zion's hill. Who's set's going to win? That's why we don't have to be afraid. He has already done what his enemy was seeking to prevent. The very thing they feared, the very thing they're raging against, the rule of Christ, that's what God did. In video games, we call this the kill shot. God ended the matter with one hit. While they were proposing new and more perverse attempts at throwing off God's rule so that they could be king, he has ended the matter. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Remember in Matthew 28, 18-20, before Jesus ascended to the right hand of the, God, of the Father and took the crown and sat down as the ruler of heaven and earth, what did he say? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. 
How come we can go confidently into the nations when the nations don't believe, when the nations don't recognize Jesus as Lord, when the nations have politicians who do dumb or foolish or corrupt or wicked things? How can we have confidence? Because Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And why? When did this happen? In Psalm 2 it says, the father simply decided, as for me, I have set my son, my king, on Zion's hill. If you want to see what the coronation looks like, you can read about it in Daniel 7, 13 through 14. In Daniel 7, 13 through 14, Daniel is given a vision of the ascending Jesus Christ back to the Father after his life, death, burial, and resurrection. He's brought before the Ancient of Days, the scripture says, before the Father's presence, and there all rule and dominion and authority and power has been given to him. And now he rules a kingdom that will never be shaken, never be destroyed, is everlasting and ever expanding. It's glorious. It also says in Psalm 110.1, The Lord said to my Lord, the Father said to the Son, The Lord, God the Father, said to my Lord, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So the Son is seated. The Lord Jesus is seated on the throne of David. He's seated in Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, where he rules heaven and earth because he has all authority and power. And God is subduing all of his enemies and making them his footstool. And his kingdom, the Lord Jesus' kingdom, is expanding around the globe. It has been for 2,000 years. It will continue for 2,000 years or whenever the Lord is finished. And this is our hope, a, a blessed hope. So, what does the Son say? That stands in number three. <clears throat> the Son proclaims the decree. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, this is the Lord Jesus speaking, I will, tell, I will tell of the decree. The Lord, the Father, said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. It's all his. Ask of me. Simply ask and I'm going to give you all the nations, the ends of the earth. doesn't matter what the elections say. It's moving and moving and moving ever into your direction and your kingdom. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You see, Jesus' sovereign right to rule over everyone, he declares that right here. We know that this is Christ. Peter says that this is Christ, even though it's written thousands of years ago through the Spirit, Psalm 2 is about Jesus. Peter says so in Acts 4.25-26. through 26. Paul says so in Acts 13.33. The author of Hebrews says so in several places, including Hebrews 5.5. Paul specifically says it in Romans 1.4. You can find it here on the screen. And was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the public vindication that He is the only begotten Son, that He is the anointed king, that he's the one that God has set on Zion to rule heaven and earth. It's the Lord Jesus. So looking into the angry eyes, the angry faces of the peoples and the nations and the rulers and the kings, Jesus looks them in the face and he says, I will declare the decree. I'm going to tell you what the Father has done and there's nothing you can do to stop it. And that should give us confidence. That's our king. Telling him that no, telling the world nothing can stop him. That's great. 
This decree is in direct conflict with the desires of man. That's why we don't like it. Even me saying it right now, you could probably in your heart feel like, well, that feels, I don't know about that, because it is offensive. This decree, this decree, it does not flatter the hearts of men. And we love, we love to flatter our own hearts. We want to flatter our own hearts. It's also in conflict with what the peoples and the nations are conspiring to get. What are they after when they break free from God's law? When they break free from God's design? When they break free into autonomy, into self-rule, into my law? What are they after? They're after what he has in his hand. They want the scepter. The nations, the rulers, the kings, the peoples, even me, in my own sinful heart, I, in myself, don't want the Lord Jesus to rule and reign. I want to rule and reign. And as that flesh works itself out into worldly systems, politicians want to rule and reign. And they do all sorts of corrupt things. And we see these elections coming, and we wring our hands. What if it's Trump? What if it's Biden? Oh, no, because we don't actually believe what the Lord is saying here in Psalm 2, which is that I have decreed, I have set my son, I have decided who the ruler of heaven and earth is going to be. And if we believe that, and then we look up, we can have confidence and hope, regardless of the short term. Because if we look back, we see the kingdom growing and building like a mustard seed, expanding like, like yeast working through dough. We see the kingdom of Jesus Christ growing over the, the centuries amongst the nations from a small handful to billions today. And how many more billions in the future? His kingdom cannot be stopped because he is the Lord of heaven and earth. And so I want to be faithful in my generation because it's through our choices and it's through our faithfulness that God has appointed the means by which Jesus' kingdom comes into this world. The means that God has so chosen to bring that kingdom into reality is the means of faith. As we walk in faithfulness, as we handle our stewardships faithfully, God has decreed that that would be the means by which he brings this in. He's going to do it, and he wants you and I to play a part, because our father, is a, is, he, he loves to work with his kids. He wants to share the family business. He wants to give us a piece of the action. That's how our father is. And so we don't do it in fear of the future. We vote and engage politically with the confidence It says in this portion of the psalm, ask of me, ask of me. Jesus says, I will tell the decree that the father told me. The father said, ask of me. In the ancient world, it was customary for kings to give favored persons whatever they asked. So Jesus has only to ask the father for the nations and ends of the earth and they will be his. In other words, ask and I will give you your enemies as your inheritance. Ask, the Father says, and all these people who are raging against you, I'm going to give them to you as your inheritance. He has given him not only the right to be king, but also the right to conquer. And that's what the rod of iron to break to pieces rebellion nations are for. Despite their strength, despite all of their power, they will be broken if they do not bend. So that... That's the bad news for rebellious peoples and nations and rulers and kings and cities and counties and states and nations and politicians and presidents and popes and senators and judges. You pick the ruler. After the vote, that is the bad news. 
But our God is a gracious and merciful God. So here at the end, in the final stanza, God the Spirit speaks. And what does he say? He speaks to the nations. The Lord Jesus said to us on the night that he was betrayed, that it was better for him to leave and go back to the throne and to, to, to receive the crown, to go to his coronation. It was better for him to go because if he didn't, the counselor would not come. He would not send the counselor. But that he would send the counselor and that counselor would do things that we need God to do. And that's what we see in the final stanza of this psalm. This is the Holy Spirit counseling the nations. And this is so important for you and me. You really need to pay attention to this part. Because you may be thinking, yes, Lord, I believe this. I believe that you are Lord. I believe that God has given you the nations. But how do I convince the peoples? How do I convince the rulers? How do I convince the kings all around me? Those being elected, how do I convince them that Jesus is Lord? That they should repent of their sin and rule according to his laws of righteousness and justice? How do I convince them? That may be how you feel. And the answer is you don't. The Lord does. In John 16, 7 and John 16, 11, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage that I send back to the Father. It's to your advantage that I go to my throne. For if I do not go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convince the world. He will convince the world concerning sin. He will convince the world concerning righteousness. He will convince the world concerning judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You don't convince anybody. The Spirit of God is the counselor that convinces the peoples and nations and rulers and kings and those in power over us today. The Lord is so merciful and gracious. Look at this. He takes his enemies, rebelling against him, and he makes them friends. He sets them free by convicting them of sin and showing them the folly of their way. He does that for them. He makes it makes them able to see the righteousness of Christ. That he really is the Son of God. That he really is the King of Kings. That he is worthy to rule heaven and earth. They are convinced by the Spirit, not by me. They are convinced that he has all authority in heaven and earth and that he will judge. That he will judge in the past, the present, and the future. Who convinces them of the judgment of the Lord? That, God, that the Lord Jesus brings judgment on nations that rebel against him. How do you convince American politicians of that? You don't convince them. The Spirit convinces them. So then, what is my part? What do I do? And that's what we see in the final stanza. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the, this is the counselor counseling these nations. Let's watch how the Spirit speaks. And let's imitate. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. These are the words we have to bring to the world. Be wise. Don't delay. Your warfare cannot succeed. Lay down your arms and surrender cheerfully to him that will make you bow if you refuse the yoke. Remember what the scripture says. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He does this. This is true. No matter how it offends our pride, and it does offend our pride, 
it is true, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the vindication of its truth. God raised up Christ publicly. He commanded it to be proclaimed publicly to all nations because it is His decree. We can either receive the mercy and grace that God gives, or we can buck. We are called to serve the Lord with fear, with reverent humility. We're calling people to have a fatherly fear towards God the Father, the Father of nations, the same way small children fear their father in a good and healthy way. We're calling them to be the same way. And then it says rejoice with trembling. What does that mean to rejoice with trembling? C.H. Spurgeon said this, which I think is beautiful and very helpful. He said, there must ever be a holy fear mixed with a Christian's joy. This is a sacred compound yielding sweet smell to God and we must see to it that we burn no other upon the altar. Fear without joy is torment and joy without fear would be presumption. Also notice the counsel by God. Be reconciled. The Spirit is calling these nations. Be reconciled. He's offering peace, but it's peace on His terms. It's an awful thing to perish in sin, to throw away your life in a rebellion. Blessed are all those who trust in Him. That's the final line. Are you blessed? Thank God and praise Him. Tell every one of His goodness. Tell it to your children. Tell it to your family. Tell it to your brothers and sisters in Christ at Church in the Valley. Tell it to your neighbors and your co-workers. Tell people about the goodness of the Lord. How you've trusted in Him and how He's been good to you. The more you trust, the more you trust the Lord Jesus, the more blessed you will be. The more your family trusts the Lord, the more they will be blessed. The more your church trusts the Lord, the more blessed it will be. And the more our kings and rulers and peoples and nations trust the Lord, the more blessed Ontario, San Bernardino, California, and America will be. There's a map outside these doors. It's a map of Ontario Ranch. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to move into this area. And all around us, we have people at Church in the Valley that live here, in this map area, and all around. And we want to fill these pieces, these places. We want to fill these communities with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. We want every people, every person, every official to say with a, with a, a joyful heart, Jesus is Lord and it's glorious and to serve him in every station of life. That's what we want. So, when we read Psalm 2, we see that that's what God wants. That's what God is doing. So trust Christ. Learn to obey Him more and more with joy and share the good news. Remember that no matter what happens this election or next election, after every election, we who trust in Christ are safe and secure. We are advancing and victorious because God has decreed that Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, that his kingdom will grow and never fail. That is an everlasting, ever-growing, unstoppable kingdom. And that is what we're a part of when we follow Christ. And that he will subdue under his feet all his rivals, either by his grace, mercy, love, or by his wrath and justice. This is our hope after the election. This is why we can have confidence in our work This is our testimony. Let's pray.
Father, we say amen. May it be so more and more. We see the wickedness, the corruption, the folly, and the missed opportunities in every generation and in our own politically. The election's coming. People are going to vote according to their conscience and best sense. We pray that you give us God-fearing, wise leaders who are full of justice and righteousness as you define it. Father, we pray that you'd fill us with confidence in your kingdom and your king that you've installed on Zion's hill, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see with eyes of faith the direction that history is going. And that direction is Christian. Because there is no one who can stop you. There's no one who can stop the Lord Jesus. They killed him, and you rose him from the dead. You seated him in the heavenly places. He's high and lifted up. He's above all rule and authority and power. No one can stop him. And as we trust him and follow you through him, you build your kingdom in and through us. Make that the number one thing we want. Patriotism is a good thing if it's properly subordinated to a loyalty and love and a faithfulness to you. Help us, Lord, to love you by working hard for the good of our nation. Show us as a congregation what we can do to build your kingdom in this area. We pray for unity. We pray for truth. We pray for wisdom in our nation. In Jesus' name, amen.